joy to the, to the world, the Lord is come. This Advent season, we are in the New Testament letter of Philippians, and a letter that is characterized by much joy, as Paul in his writing uh, conveys deep joy despite his circumstances. But let me invite you to open up the scriptures with me once again to uh, Philippians, and this morning we'll be in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Philippians was written by Paul from prison uh, to believers living in Philippi, a Roman colony, and he writes and instructs them and encourages them uh, to, to remember that their uh, primary allegiance and their primary citizenship is not in Philippi, but it is in a heavenly colony, and to live out uh, their faith as followers of Jesus Christ, looking to the example, looking to the model of Christ himself. And so that's what we want to do as followers of Jesus uh, today as well. So as you find your place uh, in Philippians, Philippians near the, uh, relatively near the end of the Bible in the New Testament. But as you find your, your way to Philippians chapter 2, let me encourage you to join me standing uh, for the reading of God's Word. In Philippians chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse 5 and uh, read through verse 8. And then we'll specifically look at verse 8 today. But there, Paul writes, In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's bow and pray. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity once again to open your word today. Lord, we do pray that as we think and reflect on the truths that are conveyed right here in your scriptures, that, that you would speak, that you would lead, that you would guide, or that you would confront and convict and encourage and conform us more and more to the image of your Son by the power of your Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, TED, as in TED.com, is a nonpartisan, nonprofit uh, devoted uh, to spreading ideas, mostly through short, powerful talks. Uh, and in June 2012, uh, Amy Cuddy, uh, who is a Harvard professor and social psychologist, gave one of the most viewed talks. Uh, from TED.com, and uh, the title of her talk was this, Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are. Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are. And so the idea behind this particular talk is that uh, is the idea of, of power posing, uh, which is the idea that your bodily posture affects uh, your hormones. And so the idea is that if you spend time uh, in a bodily posture of confidence, of power, of, of dominance, something uh, to the effect of, of this uh, or of this, uh, then you are more likely to uh, think and display uh, self-confidently. In fact, you may even lead uh, to receiving greater respect and power from others. On the flip side, if you uh, spend uh, time in a bodily posture of submission, um, or another posture of submission, looking down, 
uh, then you are less likely to display self-confidence and think self-confidently and even less likely to receive uh, respect uh, and, and power uh, from, from others. Now, before we simply dismiss uh, Amy Cuddy as uh, a quack, she has tapped into something here because this particular uh, talk has been viewed as of this morning nearly 38 million times online. No doubt, I would imagine, by some here in, in this room today. And later in 2015, her, her book, Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges, was published and hit the New York Times bestseller list. And on the cover of that book, there's a little blurb by someone else uh, who is well known, not by me, but perhaps by others, forget the name. But uh, she writes that Amy Cuddy is the high priestess of self-confidence for the self-doubting. She is the high priestess of self-confidence for uh, the self-doubting. Now, here's the truth, I think. There is a longing deep within us, deep within us, to some degree or another, for power, for control, for success. And if... If achieving it was as simple as power posing, then many of us would certainly be given to to trying it. But as we reflect on the scriptures that we've read already this morning, I want us to, to reflect on the posture and the actions of God Almighty. Though He is the High King of Heaven, though He is the the one who rules and reigns over all, though He is the one who holds the world in His hands. You remember that song? He does not rule with a heavy hand, but He is the God who has come to us as a servant to us. There's no power posing here with God. He has come. He has assumed the role of a servant and He has assumed the position of a lowly infant, tender and mild, completely dependent on a peasant boy and a peasant girl to raise him. Friends, who does that? Who gives up power? Who, in the right mind, relinquishes control on purpose? This is foreign to us. This is not something natural to us. And yet, this is the way of the gospel. This is the way that God Almighty has acted in history on our behalf. And last week, as we looked at Philippians chapter 2, specifically verse 7, we said that Christ Jesus made himself of no reputation for us. He made himself of no reputation for us. He came and assumed the role of a servant. He took on human flesh. He became one of us. He entered into a fallen world. In verse 8, he was found in appearance as a man. Found in appearance as a man. Meaning not that he was like a man, but not fully a man. Well, the scripture is clear here that he was fully man. That he took on human flesh. As we saw last week, it meant that he knows what it's like to hurt as we hurt. To experience pain and suffering and hardship and hunger. He experienced these things on our behalf for us. 
And really the scripture is stating here, Paul is stating here that this taking on human flesh, is being found in appearance as a man conveys that he looked as men did in his day and his time. He looked at as an ordinary man. He showed up appearing as an ordinary man, man of, of his day. I think the tendency for us is when we think of Jesus, we know that he's the, the ideal man, the ideal person. He is ideal spiritually. He's the model spiritually. He's the model that we want to look up to, that we want to follow, that we want to serve. But perhaps there's something in us that, that tends to think that he was also the ideal man physically, that he was bold, that he was confident, that he was a man's man, that he was tough, that he was attractive. And not to be honest, the scriptures don't leave any room for that here. In fact, Isaiah helps us here. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. Speaking of the coming Messiah, reads this way. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a, a root out of, a, out of dry ground. In other words, something that was unimpressive. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that, that we should desire him. He came in humility. He came as one of us. He made himself of no reputation for us. As God Almighty, he made himself nothing, verse 7. He emptied himself. And then even as a man, as God in the flesh, he took things a step further. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, the, the story of Good Friday and the story of Easter Sunday is the natural continuum of the story of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. It is the rest of the story. As believers in the Scripture, we cannot separate one from, from the other. For in Jesus, the Son of God took on human flesh ultimately becoming an ordinary Jewish baby boy who was bound for the cross. He came to earth ultimately to give his life, to give his life away for us. Christ Jesus made himself of no reputation for us, and then Christ Jesus gave his life in accordance with God's plan. Christ Jesus gave his life in accordance with God's plan, as if it was not incredible enough that, that God would take on human flesh, that he would become one of us, that in Jesus, fully human, fully divine, miraculous enough, incredible enough in and of itself, that was not the rest of the story. Ultimately becoming such a man in order to give away his life for us. In order to, to die for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled, that we might be washed clean, that we might be restored into right relationship with God our Father and Creator. You see, willful subservience was part of God's plan. In fact, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 reads this way, But when the set time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, in other words, at just the right time in history, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And the set time had fully come. God sent His Son, born of a woman, 
ultimately in order to redeem us, to purchase us, to adopt us into his family as full legal citizens in the family of God. Friends, what a surprising story the gospel is. What a surprising God that we serve and know and worship. So brothers and sisters, people of faith in the God of Scripture, expect to be surprised by God. From day to day, and as you get to know this God more and more as you journey through life, expect to be surprised by Him. God's character is constant. He is always just. He is always Gracious, He is always loving, but this God is not always predictable. He doesn't always act in the way that we anticipate Him acting. He does not always act in a way that we might think that He would, would act. So expect to be surprised by Him. And I'm not talking so much about open parking spaces or a sudden job promotion or checks in the mailbox. Certainly, God may operate that way from time to time, but I am talking about God Almighty assuming the role of servant. God's own Son willfully laying down His life on a cross for us. And of eternal life in the paradise of heaven for willful sinners, undeserving, rebellious sinners, sinners such as you and me. Again, Isaiah 55 is is helpful for us here. Prophesying and speaking on behalf of of God. Isaiah writes, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Church, Christ Jesus gave His life in accordance with God's plan, and in His giving, Christ Jesus suffered the greatest pain and the worst shame. Christ Jesus suffered the greatest pain and, and the worst shame. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's like a good mystery with twists and turns all over the place, suddenly catching us off, off guard. The story of the gospel is surprising. It is ironic twists and turns everywhere as the willful subservience of God in the flesh continues to deepen. First, taking on human flesh. Then touching the leper. Talking with the prostitute. Getting down on his knees and washing the the filthy feet of his disciples. Then laying down his life of his own accord for us and And doing so in the most horrific way imaginable. Crucifixion. See, crucifixion was practiced by the Phoenicians and the Persians. And then it was later adopted by the Romans. The Romans believed that they perfected crucifixion. It's meant to be the worst way to execute a criminal. Combining excruciating pain and public humiliation. Like it was reserved only for slaves and for foreigners. There was no power posing here. It was either willful or forced submission. And as the victim hung on the cross, hanging full weight, supported by the arms, they would begin to have difficulty breathing and they would 
would get occasional relief as they pushed up with their feet, gasping for air. But eventually, the horrific pain, unimaginable pain in the hands and the arms and the feet and the legs and the back would, would overtake them. If the trauma of the whole thing did not take their life, then it would eventually capitulate to suffocation. A horrific way of, of dying. Listen to what Cicero, a first century B.C. Roman philosopher and politician and lawyer, says about Roman crucifixion. Highlighting the, the benefit it was in that day to be a Roman citizen. He says, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is... What? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. And church, yet at the climax of God's plan to redeem broken sinners, Jesus suffered the worst pain and the deepest shame for us. Friends, Jesus Christ willingly endured the scandal of the cross for us. Christ Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, willingly endured the scandal of the cross for you and for me. That we might be forgiven, that we might have life, that we might experience abundant and eternal life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and following, Paul writes, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Reminds of that line we sang earlier in that hymn. This morning, sages, Leave your contemplation. This is not a message that you will naturally think up on your own or naturally believe on on your own. You see, the cross was a stumbling block to many. It was an embarrassment to many in, in that day. The very same reason, even today, it's an embarrassment to many today. This is why we naturally gravitate more quickly to Santa and the elves than Jesus and the cross. And yet Jesus and the cross is at the center of God's plan to redeem a broken and fallen humanity. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, No, we declare God's wisdom. We, de- we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age, he writes, understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers of that day certainly did not understand what God was doing through Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. The rulers of that day stumbled over the message of the cross. And many in the world today still stumble over the message of the cross. But church, you and I cannot afford to stumble over the message of the cross. We must surrender to the one who was crucified for the sins of the world. The one who endured the scandal of the cross for us. So in the haste of the holiday season. Church, we, we must not skip 
over the gift laid on the altar of the cross. Embrace the gift laid on the altar of the cross. Brothers and sisters, embrace the gift laid on the altar of the cross for you and for me. For Christ Jesus willingly endured the scandal of the cross for us. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be declared innocent. So that we could receive the righteousness of Jesus. So that God could be just and at the same time the one who justifies us through Jesus. So that we could have eternal life, so that we could be restored into right and intimate fellowship with God our Maker, both now and forevermore. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 states it this way God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. To be received by faith. If you've ever traveled very much outside of the U.S., then you know that in some cultures it can be considered offensive to refuse a gift. And perhaps even at times this might carry over to refusing uh, the gift of food and whatever food is offered to you. That reminds me of a story uh, or, or an experience, not much so much a story, I guess it's a story now, but an experience back in 2012 on our first trip to Belize uh, many of you uh, know and remember Jimmy Tidmore, longtime member here at Meadowbrook and uh, now pastor of Montesano Baptist Church up in Huntsville. But on that particular trip, as we sat down uh, around the table under the tent to eat one of our evening uh, dinners, Jimmy thought he was taking one for the team because uh, Jimmy tasted uh, the, the drink that was given to us, the, the rice milk uh, that was given uh, to us and quickly realized he did not care for that particular drink. And so he decides to drink it rather quickly uh, out of an uh, expression uh, of thanksgiving for those that have prepared for us, uh, hopefully alleviating some of the others from that responsibility. But little did he know that the hospitality of the Belizeans surpassed that of the Americans. And so as soon as he finished that sip, uh, a Belizean woman swooped in and quickly refilled his his cup. Now, when it comes to the gift laid on the altar of the cross, refusing the gift is, is not only offensive, but it is completely and utterly foolish. For the gift laid on the altar of the cross is the greatest gift that anyone has ever given and the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. It is the greatest gift that you or I will ever receive, certainly will ever receive. At Christmas time, gift of God in the flesh, laying down his life for us to be received in faith. Faith that provides forgiveness of sins. Faith that leads to eternal life. Faith that provides true life and abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've ever experienced a Christmas gathering involving presents, Christmas morning or otherwise, with with kids, then you know the natural tendency of most kids is to want to open their own gifts first, right? Some of you are nodding. That's not just my kids, right? Um, in fact, as kids gather around and presents are passed out, many kids and 
Some adults don't really care all that much what anyone else is getting. You want to know what you're getting. It's about you. And yet, once again, the Scriptures challenge this natural, sinful inclination of our hearts, encouraging us, prodding us to reject this me-first mindset. Brothers and sisters, as we follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are called upon to reject the me-first mindset. Verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's no room there for a me-first mindset for Christ Jesus assumed the role of a servant. Though He was and is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am, the good shepherd, the creator and author, sustainer and redeemer of human life, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, following the perfect example of this perfect Lord, church, we must begin to embrace the role of servant. Let's embrace the role of of servant. For God has acted with the greatest level of love, self-sacrifice, giving away His own Son's life for our good, for our benefit. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because He is characterized by love and compassion, by unconditional love and mercy for us as His people. So how in the world, if we have known that God and encountered that God, if we have faith in that God, how in the world could we not be characterized by service both to Him and to others in His name? Just as Paul describes he and Timothy in the first verse of this letter as servants of Christ Jesus, we are called upon to serve Christ Jesus for He is King. He is Lord. He is Master. He is the one who rules and reigns over all. And knowing Him, And following his example, how could we not, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, value others above ourselves? Not looking to our own interests, but looking to the interests of others. Church, these are natural marks of one who has responded to the scandal of the cross. So let me ask you this morning, what about you? Have you responded to the scandal of the cross of Jesus Christ? Christ Jesus willingly endured the scandal of the cross for us, for our sake. Have you responded to that truth? Have you trusted in Christ to save you? Are you living for Him? Are you serving Him and are you serving others in His name? I encourage you to do so. He encourages as we respond to commit to serving Him anew. Following Christ afresh. Perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the hundredth time. Devote yourself to Jesus. Follow after Him. Let's serve the One who served us, for He is worthy. Father, we thank You for the opportunity this morning to open Your Word, to read about 
your gospel and how it should impact our lives as your children. Father, may it do so. Would you lead us to respond in a way that glorifies you? Would you lead us to believe the message of the cross? Father, where we don't have faith, give us faith. Where we don't have courage, give us courage. Where where we are tainted by sin, Father, we pray that you would lead us by your spirit. Hear our praises now as we respond to you. Hear our prayers, hear our confessions. Lord, lead us to glorify you. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.